It's out of Lamentations 3.21-26. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul that seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Eli. Good morning. Uh, my name's Warren Ben Olson. If you don't know me, it's nice to, nice to see you all here this morning. Uh, my wife, Laura, and I have uh, enjoyed being part of Solid Rock for about the past eight years. Uh, and really, for the first time in our lives, we have consistently been, been part of a church uh, without either our, our fathers or ourselves being part of, of the leadership. That's just how we grew up, and that's we've, we've been uh, missionaries our, our whole married life. Uh, and so it's, it's really been nice to, uh, to be a part of a church where we can just kind of attend and fellowship and make friends and listen to, to great exposition of the, of the word Sunday after Sunday. So uh, there's Matt. Thanks for... Uh, helping us or allowing us to be a part of this, this family and making us feel at home. It's been a, a really uh, important part of, of our journey, and we, we appreciate your all's friendship and then those of you that we know here as well. Um, since yesterday was, was Earth Day, I thought I'd, I'd do my part and do some, some recycling this morning. Uh, any recyclers out there? Any recyclers? No? Yeah, all right. Good. Yeah. Uh, when, we, uh, when we lived in Italy, we had five trash cans in our kitchen. We had one for glass, one for paper, one for organic or kind of like composting type stuff, one that was a combination of plastic and metal, and then one for everything else. Uh, so, so we got used to, to recycling. That was just part of our, our daily life there. And, and really now it's hard for us not to recycle. That's just kind of part of, of, of what we do. But, but this morning, don't worry, I'm not going to bring trash cans and give an example or anything like that. Actually, what I'm going to... Kind of, kind of recycle this morning is uh, is an assignment for seminary that I had that eventually made its way into a, a sermon. It's kind of depending on that a little bit and going back to that today. Um, for the past ten years, uh, I've lived consistently in the United States for for the first time since I was six years old. Uh, and the primary reason for this has been uh, my wife Laura's struggle with uh, Parkinson's disease, which has has brought its own set of challenges. Uh, but living here in Springfield has also put us uh, close to the, the home office of our, our organization, uh, which means that uh, I get to see stuff that I never saw from a continent away. Uh, it means that I've been confronted with elements of American culture, uh, of the American church, of American history that I'd never really had to live with before. I was an American, that's what my passport said, but I never really lived here that long and I didn't have to deal with, with some of those, those things that are kind of in your face every day. Um, my natural reaction to all of this was, was cynicism. That was kind of my go-to to uh, just kind of be cynical about all of that. Uh, but one Sunday, it's two or three years, I don't, can't remember if it was in the other building or this building, but one Sunday, Matt uh, preached a sermon against being cynical. I don't know if you remember that. Uh, he actually, I think, said that it was a sin. 
So, you know, there went my coping mechanism. Couldn't do that anymore. It was a, it was a very convictive, convicting sermon that, 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 that day. Uh, so what do I do with all of this now? Kind of at the same time in, in my life, I was, I was learning how unhealthy it had been to, to deny some of my feelings, especially feelings of anger. And so with all of that going on, I, I realized that it, it was time to kind of repurpose that, that Old Testament assignment on, on lamentations into more than just a sermon and begin to apply it to my own life. Uh, so what I'm sharing this morning is not really so much a, a sermon per se as, as a lifeline or a, a survival strategy on, on how to cling to faith while honestly facing and expressing anger and, and frustration and, and sadness or what, what Jeremiah would call, would call lament. Uh, the verses that Eli read a few minutes ago are, are pretty well-known verses and, and very encouraging. They're, they're uplifting verses. It sounds like the author is in, a, is in a good place. God is close to him. He's quietly waiting for the Lord who, who shows up every morning like clockwork and brings the salvation that he needs for that day. That's, that, that's the good life that, that, that kind of is expressed there. But the truth of Jeremiah's situation is, is really very, very different than that. And we only have to go back a few verses to see what's really going on. And starting in, in, in verse 7 there of, of Lamentations 3, Jeremiah is talking about how his relationship with the Lord is, is, is really going. He says, He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stones. He has made my paths crooked. I have become a laughingstock of all peoples, the object of their taunts all day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel. He has made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say... My endurance has perished, so has my hope from the Lord. Not so great after all, huh? Where did that, that quiet patience go, that, that hope that, that he expressed in those verses that, that, that Eli read? Here the prophet Jeremiah is, is lamenting or really just kind of loudly complaining about what has just happened to the city of Jerusalem and to the nation of Israel. Because of their continued, continued disobedience, God has sent the, the kingdom of Babylon to destroy Jerusalem, uh, and as well as taken the best and the brightest away into captivity. And not only are their homes and their crops and their, and their city wall destroyed, but the temple of Jerusalem lays in ruins. And for them, this is more than just uh, the place that they gather for, for worship on, on festivals or, or on the Sabbath. It is where God physically dwells among, among them. It's their whole way of life, their, their belief system. What made sense of, of their world has been destroyed, and there is no hope. This is so devastating that Jeremiah writes this, this major work of poetry expressing what this means, how it, how it came about, what they might be able to do to remedy it. And in, in the middle of of, of all of this that's, that, that's terrible and that's uh, uh, bringing all this anguish to him, in the middle of all of this, he expresses the only ray of hope that, that maybe there could possibly be. And that's what we read earlier. It says, but this I call to mind, 
and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. In the middle of catastrophe, in the middle of all this devastation and this anguish, Jeremiah is able to remember a God whose character never changes. If Jeremiah could call this to mind in the middle of what he was going through, then as I kind of recycled what I, had, what I had learned from Lamentations in my class, I figured that maybe I could too. After all, my circumstances weren't, weren't quite as devastating as, as his, although sometimes they, they kind of felt like that. Maybe, maybe you've been in a place like that at, at times as well. My circumstances revolved uh, not exclusively, but a lot around, around Laura's health and all the implications that that brought. Uh, Laura was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease about 18 years ago, and it's uh, 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 a neurological disease that's progressive, and it's been 18 years. So that's something that um, we sense and know and experience God's mercy and strength every day, but it has been 18 years. Um, then, besides that, there was the frustration and the disappointment with, with institutions I had been taught to trust since I was, uh, since, since childhood, and, and a culture where, where individual rights had become paramount even over other people's lives, and this was something I definitely had, had not been taught as a child. And all of this together made me question kind of who I was, where I fit in, and, and what did I really believe? And during that, that period, some days, really all I could come, with, come up with were Jeremiah's words. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. And some days that was enough. Lamentations... Um, isn't the only example of lament in the Bible. The Psalms are full of lament. If you're part of the uh, practicing the way that we're looking at prayer, I think one of the lessons they talked about, maybe 75% of the, of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. Um, even the Gospels show us lament as, as part of their portrait of Jesus. We think about him uh, kind of showing up late for Lazarus's healing. Lazarus had already died, and Everyone was sad, and everyone was uh, kind of not blaming him, but saying, you know, if you'd have just gotten here. And he saw the pain in their eyes, and he, he knew what was going to happen next. He knew that Lazarus wasn't going to stay dead, but he still felt that lament for the situation and for his friends. Uh, when he cleared the temple, that was kind of a, a very angry lament as he went through and, 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 and cleansed that. Uh, Gethsemane, when he sweat drops of blood, as he was facing what he knew was coming the next day, there was that lament in, in, in Jesus' life. And then he lamented over Jerusalem. As he came into Jerusalem and he saw the city, and in Matthew 23 and Luke 19, these, these narrate Jesus' prediction of, of Jerusalem's destruction and his lament over the inhabitants of the city. In, in Matthew, he goes back to the, to the Old Testament, 
and remembers how the, the inhabitants of the city killed the prophets, how they uh, did not listen to God's word and how uh, that was kind of their, their reaction. And, and in Luke, he brings it to the present and says they, they didn't know the time of their visitation, or in other words, they didn't recognize him for, for who he is. And he weeps over their past and present obstinance, as well as their impending destruction that, that comes just a few years later. When I read this lament of, of Jesus, especially the one over the city, kind of a question that comes to, to me sometimes is, do we lament over our city? What is our, our view of that? In, in, in my office, there are three maps on the wall that, that Laura gave me for Christmas a few years ago. There's a map of, of Montevideo, which is the city where I grew up. There's a map of, of Mexico City, where we spent like the first, the first half of our, our, our missionary career. And then there's a map of the city of, of Milan, which is where we started the, the, the second half. Um, and as I look at those cities, as I sit at my desk, I, I remember that I've, I've wept over those cities. Um, over Montevideo, that, that I had to leave for my senior year of high school. I'd been there most of my life growing up, but for my senior year, we had to leave. Not a very, maybe, spiritual lament, but it was a, a 16-year-old's lament. Um, I've lamented over the millions in Mexico City who are prisoners of, of idolatry and, and of adultery. A city of some 30 million people. Um, and at one time, while we were living there, the, the statistics said that about a million people moved to Mexico City from other parts of Mexico every year. And one day, uh, the leader of our team there, kind of maybe one of the, the darker days for him, kind of did some math based on that, and, and his, his comment was, you know, if, if we were able to start a thousand churches a year, and have each one of those churches run a thousand people. All we would be doing was taking care of the people that moved here this year without ever looking at, at all the other ones that have already been here and the ones that are coming next year. So yeah, there, was, there were tears. There was lament over, over that city that, that we lived and we worked in. There were tears over the pride and the hardness to the gospel in, in Milan. And the fact that we had to leave just as, as we were, getting, were beginning to understand it. But between each of, each of these cities, I spent time here in Springfield. And as I think back over that, I, I really never wept for it. Sometimes I might have wept because I had to come here and that sort of thing. But, but uh, at, I, I never w lamented in the same way. And kind of to... to I, I've, I've recently began to, to realize that there's plenty to lament. There's, there are things in our, in our city that, that I think touch God's heart and, and should touch ours. And kind of to, to illustrate this a little bit without going into a lot of detail, uh, when, a, when, a, when a missionary team enters a city, and especially a city where maybe they've never been before or where there are no churches or, or someplace that's new in that way, Part of the, the procedure or kind of the, the, the MO is, is to start off by looking at Scripture and, again, understand where our mission fits inside God's mission 
and to again go back to what what are we proclaiming? What what is the gospel? How would it look in in a city like this? When you look at the at the culture and the context of of, of that city and, and understand you know the language and the religion and and different parts of, of the culture of that place and you also look at the history, is it a is it a a city or a country that has has been possessed by others, or has it been more aggressive? Uh, just what what is is the history been like? What is the church history? What what is the religious history of the place? And you do all of that before you start thinking about a strategy to to plant a church in either in this city or in a new neighborhood or that sort of thing. And if we kind of apply that same uh, attention to to Springfield, I think there'd be several flashing flashing red lights. Just a couple of them. One of them would be the number of churches that are already here. Um, another one, I, I don't know about you guys, but on, on my news feed, just every once in a while, stuff pops up on, on stats for Springfield. And a lot of times they have to do with poverty and with crime. And it's always the, the, the poorest compared to, and then they, they give some statistics, or it's the most crime compared to that. that those sort of things just keep keeps popping. I know you can manipulate statistics, but... Springfield keeps popping up with those kind of things. One of the things you would always do would be to, to visit some of the, the monuments or the places in the city and, and see what has taken place there. And if you visit the square here in Springfield, uh, you're going to find two markers. One of them commemorates a lynching and the other one a gunfight. That's kind of the, the, the things that, are, that, that have happened there that that affect who and what a city is. And really, I, I don't know what to do with all of this. I'm, I'm very grateful for, for people like Heather who work in, 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 in city government and for people like, like Steve and Angie who, who are, are there in, in the grassroots really making a difference, trying to make a difference in this city. And I'm sure a lot of the rest of you as well. But as I, as I look at this, I, I really don't know what to do with it, but I think it's worth noting. Um, but even though I don't really know what to do, sometimes I think we need to remember that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercy never has come to an end. And that's true for our city as well. The, the most recent chapter of, of, of this story, of my story, and then the one that I'm really most, most excited to share with you all is, is also found in a well-known passage of the Bible in, in Romans chapter 8, and uh, especially verses 22 through 26 that, that say, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words." There are a couple things in, in this passage that I'd like to highlight as we kind of finish up this morning. Jeremiah's hope looked to the future. He looked to the, the restoring of the kingdom that would, that would not occur for almost six, 600 years, 
And it probably didn't really happen the way Jeremiah envisioned it. But that's kind of where that hope lies, that, that all this would be rebuilt, that it would be established again. And, and with Jesus' coming, not so much with the rebuilding of the temple, but with Jesus' coming, that, that began to take place. Our hope looks back to the kingdom having come through Jesus' death and resurrection 2,000 years ago. But it also looks forward to, to the consummation of that kingdom when he returns. And I think that's kind of what Paul is talking about here, especially in verses 24 and 25. When he says, now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. There's something that we've already found, that we've already discovered, that has already affected our life, but, but we're still waiting for something else. It's not all quite, quite here. And he says we wait for it with patience. But truthfully, more like Jeremiah sometimes and, and pretty impatient with that. Uh, I want to see healing now. I want to see Laura doing better every day. I want to see reconciliation in our community now. I want to see justice in our nation now. And not seeing that, which I know is possible and is already accomplished through the cross, that makes me groan and lament. That makes me wonder why. That makes me ache for those things to come about and to happen. But what I'm learning is that, that I'm not alone in my lament. Verse 22 says that all creation is groaning in expectation. Creation feels it too. Somehow it knows that this isn't all there is, that this isn't the way it should be. And it, Paul says, groans in that, that it's like it's, it's waiting for, uh, for birth to happen. They're, they're waiting for the, the reality to come to pass. Verse 23 says that, that other believers, past and present, groan eagerly for adoption and the redemption of their bodies. Paul tells us that, that adoption and redemption have already come. They're just waiting for the application of this reality to their bodies as, as we are. It's started, but it's not, it's not finished yet. Verse 26 says that the Spirit groans, that it intercedes for us. Because many times, I don't know what or how to pray. And he's there. And he helps me with that. All of this came, came crashing in on me one morning. As I sat at the, the same table that I sit at every morning, drinking coffee out of the same cup as, as every morning, reading from the same iPad that I use every morning, and, and even reading the, the same book for, for the third time. And I kind of emphasize this kind of common, everyday, same, same old, same old, because... His mercy is new every morning, and I get to catch a glimpse of it, at least, at least some mornings. Doing the same thing, but some mornings, something different happens. And um, one morning, just a, a couple months ago or so, that, that's kind of kind of what happened. With all of this lament going on, feeling overwhelmed and, and kind of alone, as, as I read these words that were, were penned by N.T. Wright, but are based 
obviously on, on Romans 18 that we just read, on Romans 8 that we just read. These are the words. It says, The Spirit calls from deep within us, calls to the Father, calls from the pain of the world, the pain of the church, the pain of our hearts. And with that call, and with the answering love of the Father, we are, as Paul says, conformed to the image of the Messiah, God's Son, the one who shared the suffering of the world so that he might be the true intercessor for the world. After I'd read through those words a couple times, wiped away the tears, I didn't feel alone anymore. My lament was joining the lament of the world, the lament of the church, the lament led by the Spirit, heard by God the Father, and shared by the Son. My circumstances hadn't changed at all, but my lament had been shared with others, and it had been heard. I don't know, some of you may not be able to, to relate to this at all, and I know that, that most of you have a very different stories than mine. But if your circumstances loom bigger than your hope, and your lament seems to be echoing around the universe and, and never being heard, I invite you this morning to, to join your lament to mine and to Jeremiah's and to the psalmist's and to Jesus' lament, and to Paul's lament, and all creation's lament. And when that's not enough, let the Spirit take over and intercede for you too. Just a couple minutes, Matt's going to come and invite us to the table, and, and I encourage you to, to bring your lament and allow the presence of Jesus in, in these elements bring hope to your situation. But as he comes, just take a minute to sit with the words that that were on the screen there. Thank you. Thank you, Warren. Thank you, Warren, for sharing your story and for leading us through these scriptures. I want to invite you to stand as we prepare to celebrate around the table of our Lord. Lord Jesus, in this moment, we express our gratitude that the story of your redemption told through our scriptures, the scriptures that you have given us, we are grateful that through the scriptures we are invited to express the complexity that defines our own life. That our scriptures are robust enough to give space for the complexities of our world, complexities of our city, the nuances of our own lives. I pray for my brothers and sisters that we would find renewed strength and hope in this reality.
that the difficulties we endure, the complexities we wrestle with, do not have to lead us into patterns of cynicism that we cannot escape from, but that we can cling to hope in the midst of it. Because as we read in Lamentations, you are our portion. And your steadfast love never ceases. We plant ourselves again in that truth. And as we gather around your table to meet with you, to feast, to find nourishment for the road ahead. We invite you into this moment. We invite you into the intricacies of the situations we have brought into this place. Pray for those who feel burdened, even in this moment, who feel weighed down. With physical ailments, with mental or emotional challenges. Places that feel like spiritual deserts. We pray that as we meet you at this table, your body, your blood, that we might find hope for today and for the week ahead. Lord Jesus, may we know you in the bread and in the cup this morning. Amen. I want to invite you to the table of our Lord to receive from him. Believe that he has an answer for the complexities of your situation, life for what feels like death to you. We're going to make two lines down these center aisles. You can come to the front. When you get to the front, you will hear the words spoken over you, the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you. Thanks be to God. Would you join us at the table of our Lord?